Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Hello, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Scotty Greenwood from the Canadian American Business Council. And I'm Chris Sands from the Canada Institute at the Woodrow Wilson International Centre for Scholars. Chris, it's great to be with you. It is great to be with you, Scotty. Let's talk about Joe Biden's last foreign visit as vice president in 2016, where he went to, of all places, Ottawa. Seems like a brilliant idea by the government of Canada at the time, given where we are now. Vice President Biden toasted Canada's importance as a global leader, a defender of democracy, and a model of decency. So, had I a glass, I'd toast you by saying, Viva la Canada, (laughs) because we need you very, very badly. Thank you. In some ways, his ascension to the Oval Office marks a return to normalcy for Canada-U.S. relations. On the other hand, when looking back at history, one might question what normalcy really means and whether there was ever anything normal about this bilateral relationship. Either way, with a new administration in the White House, now is a perfect time for Americans and Canadians to re-examine our understanding of each other because this relationship has major implications for climate policy, for trade policy, for security, and really for our daily life. So with that, I am really excited to be in this podcast with Chris Sands. He has got to be the world's foremost expert on the bilateral relationship. It's been true for the last several decades we've worked together. He's built a professional and an academic career around researching and providing insight into this great bilateral relationship. Chris, how about you give us a quick rundown on what the historical developments have shaped the relationship as it is today, and what key issues our listeners should keep an eye on for the future, remembering that we don't have time for an entire class lesson, Chris, just a couple minutes. (laughs) Thanks, Scotty. Well, you know, Canada-U.S. relations are deep and complex. They include just about every department of the U.S. government, uh, including the State Department, but also including departments like transportation, agriculture, just about everybody in the United States governmentally has some interaction with Canada. But the role of the president and the prime minister is always special. If there's a bilateral relationship between the two leaders, it can serve as a kind of fire department for the Canada-US relationship. When something goes wrong, their relationship is how we make it right. And we've started a a long tradition going back uh, well before John F. Kennedy, where U.S. presidents made their first visit, their, their first phone calls to their Canadian counterparts. And interestingly, we've seen that tradition recognized early on by the Biden administration. But as many of our listeners will know, that was not the case with the Trump administration. Thanks so much, Chris. You know, for many of us down here south of the border, as we say in Washington, D.C., reporting by the fourth estate plays an awfully crucial role in shaping our understanding of the bilateral relationship. And I know that's true north of the border, too. I'm really excited that today we have a real Canadian-American joining us for our inaugural episode. It's CTV's Washington, D.C. award-winning correspondent, Richard Madden. He has spent the last couple of decades covering politics, both on Capitol Hill and in Parliament Hill and in 
uh, campaigns around the country. So, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Scotty. Great to see both of you and Chris. And this is a great idea, this podcast. I'm so glad. So I've got a couple of questions for you. And uh, I know Chris does too. So let's just get right into it. Um, You've got West Wing credentials, you uh, can go back and forth uh, in the White House. I'd like to just start off and ask you, uh, this may seem a little obvious, but how has life changed in the White House briefing room between the last administration and this one? Uh, That's a good question. I haven't had too many opportunities to speak with Jen Psaki. I, I, we let me just back up a little bit. Well, first and foremost, this is the era of COVID. So uh, there, the White House limits the amount of journalists that can be in there at any time. So for someone in my position, uh, I'm on a rotation. So I get to get access into the White House once every couple of weeks. Uh, my first rotation was day three of the new administration, where I did get to ask Jen Psaki a few questions on pipelines and energy projects. Uh, but what I find fascinating is that before you can even go into the White House, you have to get a COVID test. You walk in, your name is on a list, they put a, a wristband around you, and you, when you're inside there, everyone has the same wristband. So that way you know everyone's been tested and everyone is negative. Uh, you, you freeze frame that and compare it to the previous administration where the White House briefing room was jam-packed. I think we can all remember what it was like seeing Sean Spicer or Sarah Sanders in that room, and people were standing by the, uh, by the walls. The place was absolutely packed. This time, the seats are spaced out. There are limitations of how many people... Uh, can be inside. Uh, As for uh, dealing with this White House compared to the previous one, um, you do get a sense that the people who are running the White House now have an understanding of how government works. You sometimes didn't get that sense in the previous administration. They were unaware of departments or or, uh, how, how extensive the branches of government were. So that that's where it is right now, but this is a new administration. Once they get their footing, I think we're going to start, you know, getting that tension between the media and the administration, as has been the case for generations. Yeah, good point. And Richard, when you think about a Canadian uh, serving in the United States as a journal in the press corps, what like what's the biggest challenge any foreign journalist or a Canadian journalist would have compared to your American counterparts? It's it's got to be harder. Yeah. I, I got to believe. It is harder. I mean, let's face it, you know, Canada is a foreign country here. I, you know, when I was in Ottawa, a minister's office would return your call or email within moments. But here, it's a lot tougher because we're just not a priority. However, I will say this, uh, under the last administration, it was a remarkable once in a generation opportunity to be a Canadian because the big issue was NAFTA, as you remember, modernizing the free trade agreement. So suddenly, dealing with the Canadians, that was a priority under the Trump administration to get their message across, whether it's the White House or USTR. Uh, This time, I had uh, significant uh, good access at the beginning because I knew that President Biden was going to be uh, meeting, having his first bilat with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So the White House was very eager to to exchange information uh, with me ahead of that summit. So... um, it's been positive so far, but uh, you know, bottom line though, Scotty, to answer your question, it's tougher being a foreign journalist, but you know, I'm fortunate enough to uh, have access to go to the white house, to meet contacts and meet people and, and put a face to the names instead of just an anonymous journalist from a different country. All right. So let me, let me just ask you one more question. Then I'll turn it over to uh, professor Sands for the really hard questions and for the quiz after this. Uh, Cause we always got to have a quiz after this, but yeah, this will also help us, Richard, inform our future podcast for Canusa Street. So 
Um, if you had to say it today, what do you think the single biggest issue is as between the United States and Canada? I think energy pipelines. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a real uh, tough slog, uh, and some, it will raise more irritants between the <clears throat> excuse me the Canada U.S. relationship. We saw on day one, Joe Biden scrapped the Keystone Pipeline. I'm keeping my eye on Line Five, the Enbridge Pipeline that cuts through Wisconsin and through Michigan into Ontario. Uh, and there's other pipeline and energy projects as well, including the permits the former administration signed to carry uh, goods and oil from Alberta up to the territories and into Alaska. Uh, Jen Psaki, I posed that question to Jen Psaki a few weeks ago, and she said that everything's under review. So, so if you're a Canadian uh, official, you're probably fairly nervous uh, what the future holds for that. And I think that's the immediate issue that's on the table between these two countries. Well, it's funny you should say that because... Uh just today, one of the things I'm doing after the, after recording this podcast is working on my testimony before the Canada's Special Parliamentary Committee on Canada-U.S. Relations. And what have they asked me to talk about? Line five. So uh, that's that's coming that's coming right up. So with that, uh, why don't I turn it over to my friend Chris, see if he can interrogate you a little further while we've got you. <laughs> Richard, I'm, I promise not to bite. Uh, I wanted to know a little bit, you know, how would you say that um, the coverage tone has changed? Not only what you've been doing at CTV, but but in general, is has there been more upbeat hopefulness with the, the Biden administration? Or is there a certain amount of caution given that the Biden administration started with some big moves like cancellation of Keystone XL's permit and, and by American by executive order, not even waiting for the stimulus legislation to come out of Congress? I, I think if you're comparing this administration to the last one, the last one thrived on confrontation. And we saw that in every issue, every press briefing. And let's face it, a lot of the reporters really got into that themselves. I, a lot of U.S. reporters tried to make the story about themselves instead of the issue. A lot of the focus was on the chaos of the White House, uh, palace intrigue, personality clashes, you know, Jared's not getting along with this person. You're not really seeing that right now with this administration, albeit it's new. Um, so therefore, that tone has changed. Um, we are focusing on issues now instead of personalities. But again, we're just, what, 51 days into this administration. Things will change. This administration will start getting stuck in issues. They'll get caught in some problems. Uh, but the tone is different. The tone is a bit refreshing in a sense that um, when I'm dealing with the White House, I'm, I'm actually getting responses and they're coherent and they're not insulting. They're whether you agree or disagree with, with, with what they're saying, at least you understand their perspective and where they're coming from. And that's just a lot easier to to get sink your teeth into various issues. Well, that makes sense. But uh, you have a, such a unique perspective being able to see this, you know, as an American looking at the Canadian side of things, um, which which I appreciate. Would you just briefly how is covering Washington, including Capitol Hill, different than covering Parliament Hill? Uh, some people say Ottawa is a big, small town, but I think sometimes Washington is as well. What do you think? Yeah, well, first of all, when I first uh, moved here and I went to Capitol Hill, what I found remarkable is that a senator or congressman can be a Republican, but it's okay for them to have this libertarian independent streak. Just because you're a member of the Demo or Democratic uh, member of Congress or a Republican doesn't mean that you have to follow every and agree with every policy. I mean, look at Joe Manchin right now from West Virginia. He's he's a Democrat, but, you know, he's one of those key senators who can their his vote can go either way. You compare that to Parliament Hill, 
you know exactly what a liberal backbencher is going to say or a conservative backbencher. So there, the, the members of Congress in the U.S. have far more power than a member of parliament does in Canada. Uh, they're also the U.S., they're very media savvy. Cameras can go anywhere. Uh, in Canada, it, people are, they're shy or they're restriction. There are a lot of restrictions. Uh, there's a lot of Americans also pride themselves on their history. They pride themselves on the freedom of speech. In Canada, you really find that Canada's history is not promoted to the extent that it's promoted here. So, um, that was a real, eye-opener uh, being on Capitol Hill. Also, it's just so beautiful up there. Fantastic. Uh, since we're trying to uh, find our niche as as Americans who are looking at Canada-U.S. relations, um, and you're a journalist, so you're, you're always on the cutting edge. What kind of topics do you think uh, we might tackle in the podcast? Any suggestions for us? This is your big chance, Richard. You get you get to chart the course of Canusa Street going forward. I think a one-hour special of me would be gripping for all your listeners and viewers. <laughs> a twelve-part series. No, uh, let's. Just, I mean, <laughs> energy. I think Scotty and Chris. That that's that's going to be the big issue. I think. Uh, also, when I speak to a lot of Canadians, they might get that there's Capitol Hill and there's a White House, but sort of a one-on-one of just the three branches and how things work, because in Canada. It's a parliamentary system. They understand a majority government has all the power. What they find difficult to, a lot of them find difficult is right now the Democrats control all three, they control all levers. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Biden's going to get his way every single time. So it's sort of an explainer on how that works. Um, and maybe snapshots of different regions of the country, how they think, because a lot of Canadians when they think of America, they think of where they've traveled, probably New York, Florida, L.A., Chicago. But they, a lot of them haven't been to, say, Oklahoma or uh, Missouri. And sort of getting a snapshot of why that, uh, how that, those areas factor into the larger picture of the country might be fascinating as well. We heard a lot, uh, you know, when under former President Trump about the quote unquote forgotten men and women of America. Uh, and he did raise issues like opioid addiction and, and things that a lot of Canadians really didn't, you know, know about America. So issues like that might be interesting as well. Just what are, you know, what are people talking about in rural America and how does that apply to this Canada-U.S. relationship? Listen, Richard, I want to say thank you so much on behalf of Chris Sands and me. Uh, we're really excited that you joined us for our, our trial run here, our very first uh, episode. And uh, we look forward to having you back once we get all the kinks worked out. Absolutely. Yes, this is a great idea. I thank, first of all, for thinking of me and inviting me here. But Chris Scotty, what you're doing is, it's a great idea. And I think a lot of people will want to tune in because a lot of Canadians look down south of the border here with confusion, fascination, and at times, complete horror. Thanks for being our crash test dummy on this one. Uh, we appreciate it. But we hope to uh, fill that niche if we can. Thanks very much, Richard. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a suggestion? Reach out to us at Canada at WilsonCenter.org.